Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism podcast series. I'm going to continue. This will be part two on the discussion regarding does Christianity truly follow Christ? Christianity's deceitful grand conspiracy. Now this is a continuation of the last podcast in this playlist, which was part one, of course. And we ended right before we were going to begin providing the, uh, the evidence and diving right into the proofs. Before doing that, I just want to remind the listener that this is a discussion that every Christian needs to hear. This is a very important topic. Christians do not understand that they have been victimized, seriously victimized by the religion of Christianity or the category of religions of Christianity. This victimization actually started as early as the second century. And there'll be other podcasts where I, where I go into the history, the early history of Christianity. But it needs to be understood that Christianity actually does not teach to follow the example and teachings of Christ or of Messiah. And it's extremely easy to prove. And this uh, particular discussion that will probably go at least four parts, possibly five parts, it's been out there on the TorahMessiah.org website for, I would say, at least 15 years. And I've challenged people to refute it, and no one has. And that's because they can't. And the reason they can't is because I actually quote from the very words of Christ, of Messiah, of Yeshua, known to most by the false name Jesus. I actually quote from his words, and in order to refute the material, they basically have to disagree with the one they claim to believe to be Christ. And unfortunately, most Christians wrongly even go so far as to say he is God. So, Now let's go back into, we ended the previous part where we were discussing the difference between, we basically defined Torah, and I made a few, were I mentioned a few things regarding the New Testament. Now, if you actually are following through the written portion of this article, of this discussion, I'm now at the location in the article that has the heading, Following the Leader. So let's continue at that point. Following the leader, I'm going to quote first from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 38 through 40. And I'll be quoting, in this case, from the English Standard Version. And quote, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And of course, that quote is from the mouth of Yeshua, the Messiah, from Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 through 40, again. Okay. When I was a teenager, I first dedicated myself to Christ. And I was under the impression that the primary goal of every Christian was to follow Christ and that the church I attended was accurately teaching me how to follow Christ. 
In fact, the very name of the denomination in which I was raised, the Church of Christ, explicitly distinguishes itself through its name to advocate following Christ. For the thirty-plus years that I was actively within the traditional Christian sphere of influence, I continued to believe that such was the primary teaching of Christianity, that is, the teaching of to follow Christ. Indeed, if you ask Christians today, they may tell you that Christians are those who follow Christ, or who should strive to follow Christ. Well, do Christians really follow Christ? By observing the teachings or Torah of Messiah? More importantly, do Christian leaders actually teach Christians to follow Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ, or to be Christ-like? The third edition of the Greek-English Lexicon of the New Testament, edited by Frederick William Danker, needs no introduction, as it is a standard lexicon for Greek New Testament studies. This lexicon defines the Greek term, uh, and I may mispronounce this, excuse me, uh, kulatheo, which is Strong's number 0190. It defines that term, which is rendered as follow, in the previous read verses from Matthew chapter 10, and the gospel parallels of Mark chapter 8 verse 34 and also Luke chapter 9 verse 23, it renders that term as, number one, literally to move behind. Now, now what I'm talking about, I'm saying the, the lexicon, the Greek English lexicon of the New Testament renders that term as meaning literally to move behind someone in the same direction, to come after. Number two, to follow or accompany someone who takes the lead, to accompany, to go along with. Number three, to follow someone as a disciple, to be a disciple, to follow. And finally, number four, to comply with, to follow and obey. And lastly, number five, to come after something else in sequence that is, to follow. Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament by Joseph Henry Thayer defines that term as, number one, to follow one who proceeds, to join him as his attendant, to accompany him. Number two, to join one as a disciple, to become or be his disciple, to side with his party, to cleave steadfastly to one to conform wholly to his example in living and, if need be, in dying also. And again, that's from Thayer's Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament. All right. A simple common-sense meaning behind the concept of follower is that a follower strives to mimic or copy the characteristics and to practice and promote the teachings of the one whom they claim to follow. Therefore, to follow Christ is to, number one, to think as he thinks, to think as Christ thinks. Number two, to approve of what Christ approves of. Number three, to oppose what Christ opposes. Number four, to worship as Christ worshipped and also who Christ or Messiah worshipped as his God. Next, 
to learn and practice Messiah's teachings, then to revere what Messiah revered, and finally to obey Messiah. So again, to follow Messiah means to think as he thinks, to approve of what he approves of, to oppose what he opposes, to worship as he worshiped and who he worshiped as his God, to learn and practice his teachings, and to revere what he revered, and finally to obey him, to obey Messiah, to obey Christ. Perhaps the best understanding of following Christ or following Messiah is to, quote, conform wholly to his, that is, Messiah's example, end quote, as previously shown and quoted from Thayer's lexicon. In short, to follow Messiah is to be like him in every way possible, in word and deed, and to revere, obey, and practice his instructions while following his example. The ultimate goal of a follower of Messiah is to perfectly copy Messiah's example. That is what being Christ-like means. Again, the ultimate goal of a follower of Christ or a follower of Messiah is to perfectly copy Messiah's example. Note, to perfectly copy. That's the ultimate goal of a follower of Christ. So, does Christianity actually teach this? Do most Christian leaders teach this? Do they truthfully teach that Christians are to follow Christ? Furthermore, do most Christians follow the Messiah in the common sense way we just defined? Most Christians will object that I dare to even ask such a question and will present evidence allegedly showing that Christians are taught to follow Christ. Such evidence will likely consist of Christian commentaries or teaching material. For sure, such material does at first glance appear to instruct Christians to be Christ-like. However, appearances can be deceiving. Can such evidence be proven illegitimate and deceptive? Can it be proven that Christianity teaches against following Messiah? To answer this question, let us study Messiah's teachings and practices concerning the Torah, or teachings and instructions of God, and compare them to the entrenched anti-Torah teachings of Christianity. It is very important to remember the foundational anti-Torah core dogma of Christianity, as that fact proves crucial to answering the question of whether or not Christians are taught to follow Christ. Again, and I mentioned this in part one, that Christianity has as its most universal fundamental doctrine an anti-Torah mindset. Virtually all Christian groups, with a few exceptions, within the category of religion called Christianity, virtually all those groups are anti-Torah. It is a fundamental teaching of Christianity that the Torah is abolished, that the Torah is no longer in effect. The anti-Torah mindset is a fundamental core pillar of the Christian faith. 
So you need to remember that as we proceed. So, what are Messiah's teachings regarding the Torah, or teachings of God, and the obligation of Christians to follow Him, that is, to follow Messiah? The verses I will present do not exhaust the evidence of Messiah's pro-Torah teachings. They represent only a subset of additional evidence within the New Testament, which illustrates directly, by example, and in parable form, the unwavering pro-Torah stance of our beloved King Yeshua Messiah. The verses I will present, therefore, likewise prove by necessary inference or direct command that Christians should adopt the same mindset as Messiah, as Christ. Those who choose to reject the beliefs, faith example, and teachings of Messiah demonstrate a rejection of Him. Casting off Messiah's example and teachings demonstrates a conscious decision to not be among those who strive to follow Him, but to instead prefer to follow the Antichrist. And I define the Antichrist in a separate discussion that can be found on the TorahMessiah.org website, and there will be a podcast in the future, God willing, on that discussion, on the discussion and definition of Antichrist. So, as I said, if you reject Messiah's example and teachings, you're rejecting Messiah and you're showing you prefer to follow an anti-Messiah, a contradictory Messiah, a bogus Messiah, the Antichrist. Each set of New Testament passages that I will present within this discussion will be scrutinized on a verse-by-verse basis. All right, now that we've gone through a general discussion of what it means to follow Christ or to follow Messiah, let's jump right into what Messiah taught regarding the law or Torah and other things. Let's look at his specific teachings, his words, regarding Torah. First, we'll start with the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Now, these passages are extremely important. Matthew 5, verses 17 through 19. And this is part one of the Matthew 5 discussion. All right. I say part one because the, the heading, actually, if you follow along or if you have the written material, the Matthew chapter 5 passages, there's so much in them, I actually divide it into parts. So again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Yeshua the Messiah was a forceful and passionate advocate of God's, his God and ours, eternal Torah. There is no clearer proof of this than his own words as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Two versions of the Gospel of Matthew will be, will be read from. First, I'll be reading from the King James Version and then from the, the complete Jewish Bible. So again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, first from the King James Version. Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, 
one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'll pause for a moment. I mentioned in part one that in the written material I have little graphic stop signs. Whenever Messiah or Christ is stating something that applies then and now. And I will point that out by just saying there's a stop sign present or in some way indicating to the listener to pay attention that what's about to be read is universal. There, It's timeless. It applies throughout time, basically. And here, uh, Matthew chapter 18 specifically Matthew 5, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18 specifically, obviously applies for all time. In fact, the, that entire section of Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, they still apply. So let me read that again. Just remember that. This is a, he's stating something that applies then and now. And then I'll jump into the complete Jewish Bible version. So once again, from King James, think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now reading from the complete Jewish Bible. Do not think that I have come to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to complete. Yes, indeed, I tell you, that until heaven and earth pass away, not so much as a yod or a stroke will pass from the Torah, not until everything that must happen has happened. So whosoever disobeys the least of these mitzvot or commandments and teaches others to do so will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys them and so teaches will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So let's focus on his phrase when he said not to abolish but to complete. The word rendered destroy in the King James, because in the King James it says, "Not I have not come to destroy. The word went rendered destroy in the King James Version literally means, as rendered in the complete Jewish Bible, to abolish. Some Christians and Christian leaders purposely avoid terms like abolish when they promote that the Torah has been canceled, preferring instead terms such as replaced, superseded, annulled, or other similar words that do not sound quite as harsh. Perhaps their most deceptive term is fulfilled, even though their use of that word is merely a nice way for them to directly express that that according to them, the Torah has indeed been abolished. It is also a severe misunderstanding 
of the limited way in which Messiah certainly did fulfill the Torah. And he did. Yeshua the Messiah, in certain ways, did indeed fulfill the Torah or teachings of God or parts of it. Frankly, as used within Christianity, all such terms, the ones I mentioned, replaced, superseded, annulled, or fulfilled, all such terms carry the same meaning as abolish, since the end result is the same, the cancellation of Torah. Therefore, Christian leaders and their sadly deceived church members show themselves to be deceitful participants in word games as they attempt to soften and conceal the fact that they do indeed firmly teach that the Torah or the law is abolished and thus that they directly oppose the teachings of the Messiah whom they claim to worship. Messiah said, his coming did not abolish Torah. Christianity teaches that his coming did abolish Torah. My friend, the teachings of Messiah did not abolish, and of the Christian leaders who say he did abolish, are completely the opposite of one another. Did you hear that? that what Messiah said and what Christians' lead leaders say are completely the opposite of one another. Whose teachings should you follow? Yeshua the Messiah's? Or those of Christian leaders who directly contradict his faith example and instructions? Dr. Brad Young, author of the book, Jesus, the Jewish theologian, points out that in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5, Yeshua was actually making use of a common Hebraic expression with the use of the terms destroy or abolish and fulfill or complete. In the Hebraic context of Yeshua's day, those who misinterpreted or misapplied the Torah were said to be destroying it, and those who correctly interpreted and applied the Torah were said to be fulfilling it. Therefore, Dr. Young postulates that the intent behind the symbolic use of fulfill and destroy was, quote, Don't think that I have come to misinterpret the Torah. I have not come to wrongly interpret, but to interpret it correctly. According to Dr. Young, that actually is what Yeshua, what Jesus, if you wish, was saying. He was telling them, don't think that I have come to misinterpret the Torah. I have not come to wrongly interpret it, but I have come to interpret it correctly. And indeed, that's exactly what he did. To the chagrin, unfortunately, of Akiva Judaism rabbis, that is, rabbinic Judaism. I agree with Dr. Young's opinion relative to the use of such terminology in most cases. I also feel that Yeshua did indeed come to correctly interpret the Torah, in a way that differed and still differs with Akiva Judaism's spiritual leaders then and now. However, it appears obvious that in this specific context, in these specific verses, particularly when you consider the next passage, that is verse 18, it seems to support a more direct literal meaning. In other words, Yeshua seems to be more literal 
in his statement of, of uh, abolishing and fulfilling. Regardless of whether or not the interpretation of Dr. Young is applied, the verse is still proven to be a strong, undeniable, pro-Torah statement from Messiah. Now, continuing with Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, and this would be, I would say, part two. In other words, it's, it's additional material from those context of verses. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Now, notice this is verse 18, and I'll be quoting from the complete Jewish Bible. I'll just requote that. Messiah says, Yes, indeed, I tell you that until heaven and earth pass away, not so much as a yod or a stroke will pass from the Torah. Not until everything that must happen has happened. All right, now, people, this verse needs no in-depth explanation. Go back and listen to it or read it from your Bible. It needs no explanation. It's, it, it is so obvious. The meaning is so obvious that even a young child can understand its meaning. Here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, we have one of many clear examples where Messiah was direct and unmistakable in teaching that after his death and resurrection, the Torah would still be in force. Notice, he said that until heaven and earth pass away, and also the, the, not so much as a yod or a stroke will pass from the Torah, not until everything that must happen has happened. So it was, it's clear that he was, he was referring, his teachings were referring to a time after his death, death and resurrection as much as it was then when he spoke, that after his death and resurrection, the Torah would still be in force. Nevertheless, despite Yeshua's clear future reference most Christians still insist that the Torah has been abrogated or abolished. So, are heaven and earth still here? Yeshua said until heaven and earth pass, the Torah would still be in force. Is heaven and earth, are they still here? Could those who so boldly declare death to the law or Torah, please tell me, when did heaven and earth pass away? My sarcasm is intentionally used to establish the foolishness and nonsensical nature of the arguments put forth by those within Christianity who directly contradict Yeshua by claiming that the Torah is abolished. Would the Torah opponents of Christianity please produce evidence of the destruction of heaven and earth? Would anyone among the elite leaders of Christianity who teach that the Torah is no longer in effect or has been annulled please provide that past destruction of our planet? Could they please do that? Obviously, we're bordering on the ridiculous. However, more accurately stated, Christian leaders are promoting a ridiculous contradiction to the very words of Jesus Christ or Yeshua the Messiah, whom they claim to promote. If the planet is still here, which it is, then Christian organizations are wrong about the abolishment or fulfillment, even, of Torah. In other words, 
If you can look up and see the sky, clouds, stars, or if you can look down and see the ground, then Yeshua's words are still in effect and the Torah remains in force. Next, have all things been fulfilled? All things? So, when were all things fulfilled? Unless I'm mistaken, Messiah has not yet returned. Wars are still being fought. People are still going through life's ups and downs. And with the exception of the extreme northern and southern latitudes, the sun still rises every morning and sets each night. So, it appears that all things have not yet been fulfilled. Friend, heaven and earth are still here, and all things are not yet fulfilled. Therefore, not even the most minor elements of the Torah have been annulled. Anyone who claims otherwise directly opposes Messiah's words within the New Testament. Nevertheless, Christianity does claim otherwise, and I suppose would consider Yeshua potentially damned since Christianity generally advances the doctrine that anyone who even seeks to learn and practice the Torah is condemned unless they come to Christ and repent of their bondage to the law. That is, bondage to the Torah that Yeshua himself so loved. The very teachings, the Torah, that Yeshua loved, taught, to which he was totally devoted, and that he directed his followers to adopt. Those teachings are called bondage by Christianity. Let me say that again. The very teachings, the Torah, that Yeshua himself loved and taught, to which he was totally devoted, and that he directed his followers to, to, to keep and adopt, those things are called by Christianity bondage. That's horrible, people. You need to think about that. Christianity labels as bondage what Yeshua taught. Now let's look at future tense verbs. And I'll be looking here at Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Again, this is a future reference. This is something Yeshua said that applied then and now. Quoting, So whoever disobeys the least of these mitzvot or commandments and teaches others to do so will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys them and so teaches will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. End quote. First, please notice that Yeshua did not say, is called the least in the kingdom of heaven, or is called great in the kingdom of heaven. Instead, notice, he was talking in future tense. He said, they will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, and they will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, his use of future tense verbs instead of past or present tense proves that he was referring to a time in the future after his death and resurrection. So once again, Messiah clearly references future faith practices a person must adhere to 
after his death and resurrection. That is, after the death and resurrection of Yeshua. I think you get the picture. Therefore, I may not continue to repeat myself and alert you to each future reference in Messiah's statements. Please simply be listening for Messiah's words, for the frequency of such allusions to to the future scenario that would follow his death and resurrection, which are often identified with the stop signs in the written material. As mentioned earlier, Christian leaders and most Christians usually do not stop at promoting simply that the Torah has been abolished. No, they often go further by declaring that it is useless for a person to pursue Torah knowledge or practice at all, which once again directly contradicts the words of Messiah as versed in excuse me, as voiced in verse 19. Ironically, the belief of some Christians that it is sinful to strive to observe the Torah is proven particularly absurd by the fact that without the Torah or the law, there is no definition of sin. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 10, which we quoted earlier, in which Yeshua said, follow me. Quoting again from Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 through 40, from the English Standard Version. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Parallel passages are found in Mark chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9. That is the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. From the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, again from the English Standard Version, this is Mark chapter 8, 34 through 38. And and again, I'm quoting Yeshua's own words here. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him Will the Son of Man also be ashamed? Now notice that's a future reference. When he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So verse 38 is a definite, undeniable future reference. Again, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's referring to his his return, his second coming. Now Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. And notice, he's talking about his words. So if you deny or contradict his words, which we just previously read an example where Christianity does, then he will basically deny you when he returns. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 26. Again, English Standard Version. And he said to all, and of course Yeshua is speaking here, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory and the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. That is, excuse me, when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Again, that's Luke chapter 9, verse 26, an obvious future reference. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The admonition to follow Messiah and to thus conform wholly to his example is unmistakably shown to be a necessary requirement for all who claim to be Christian or Messianic, anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ or of Messiah. Do Christians strive to conform wholly to his example? Do they think as he thinks? Approve of what he approves? Oppose what he opposes? Do they worship as he worshipped and who he worshipped as his God? Do they learn and practice his teachings? Do they revere what he revered? Do they obey him? Those are serious questions. Does Christianity honestly strive to conform wholly, completely to Messiah's example? No. No, it does not. If they did, if Christianity did, then Christianity would not persist in its deliberate anti-Torah rebellion against Yeshua's pro-Torah position and thus rebellion against Yeshua himself. It is impossible for a person to have received or to have accepted Christ or Messiah while rejecting his teachings. That's impossible. Let me say that again. It is not possible for a person to accept Christ if that person rejects the teachings of Christ. Amazingly, however, the world of Christianity has established just such rejection as a foundational Christian doctrine. Since such anti-Torah Christians are obviously ashamed of Messiah's pro-Torah teachings, Messiah may very well be ashamed of them when he returns in glory to consummate the promised messianic kingdom on earth. Now, a quick reminder. Mark chapter 8, verse 38, and Luke chapter 9, verse 26 clearly refer to a future scenario, that is, future relative to the time frame of Yeshua, that will not be fulfilled until Yeshua the Messiah returns. Okay, at this point, I think I'm going to pause this part two. We're already in excess of 39 minutes. We're coming up rapidly on 40 minutes. And uh, we'll pick up next time with part three of Does Christianity Truly Follow Christ? In which, of course, I prove that it doesn't. Christianity actually teaches against following Christ. So we'll pause here and we'll... Jump right back into the verses 
The next thing we'll be discussing discussing is lawless and in, lawlessness and iniquity, and we'll be continuing on initially through the Gospel of Matthew. And again, we're using Yeshua's own words here. These are the words of Yeshua, or Jesus, if you prefer. And that's why people cannot refute these articles. They can't. Again, for over 15 years, I've never had anyone refute this material, because in order to do so, they have to, in effect, ignore what Yeshua said, what Messiah said. They have to literally, directly, and openly, and overtly contradict and oppose Messiah's words. They do so covertly, but they will have to do so overtly if they want to refute this material, which is why it can't be refuted, and which is why it is so important for Christians to hear this material. It is very important. So, okay, so we'll end part two here, and we'll pick up with part three of does Christianity truly follow Christ? And, of course, it doesn't. And I appreciate you listening, and I look forward to you picking back up in part three of this material. Thank you, and goodbye.